Welcome to Rex Factor. This week, Constantine the First. With your hosts, Graham Duke and Ali Hood. Hello and welcome to <coughs> Rex Factor, reviewing all the kings and queens of Scots from Kenneth McAlpin to James the Sixth. And this week, Constantine or Constantine the First? Constantine or Constantine, you weren't quite sure on no. our pronunciation. Yeah. You think his Scottish name would have been sort of Corsentine. Oh, nice. Uh, technically. Um, if you want to get in touch with us about uh, this episode or any of the others, please do. You can send us an email, rexfactorpodcast at hotmail.com. Like us on Facebook, like hey. the page with over a thousand likes. Um, on Twitter, at rexfactorpod. And go on to our blog, rexfactor.wordpress.com, where you'll see more information about some of the stuff we talk in the podcast and polls. Yes, some exciting polls. Get involved in those. Tell us whether or not you think uh, each monarch that we review should or should not, or maybe you're not quite sure, get the Rex Factor. We've had this before, but in case you've forgotten or you're coming to this the first time, a quick little bit of uh, backgroundy stuff for Constantine. Mm -hmm. Uh, We had the four post-Roman peoples. We've got the Picts, Mm -hmm. who are the native resident Celtic people in northern Britain, the north the northeast, mm. the Scots, mm-hmm. who are Irish descended from the Kingdom of Dalriata in the west, mm. in the Western Isles of Scotland, the Britons, who were effectively in what is now England, pushed north yeah. by the Saxons, who got invited over from Germany by a king called Vortigern and then just started expanding everywhere. Yeah. So they're in a kingdom of Northumbria, which is northeast England, but it's also southeast Scotland. Yes. And then into the mix came the Vikings. The Vikings, hey. And they caused absolute chaos, and particularly in 839, when they wiped out the then-dominant Pictish aristocracy, killed the king, his brother, all, basically, all the important male in the royal line, mm. and left a power vacuum. Yes. That power vacuum was filled by Kenneth McAlpin, mm. who was the first king that we reviewed, and whether by means foul, cruel, or peaceful, he ruled over both Dalriata, where he was from, and Pictland. So yes. he started to see that slightly bigger country. Um, he also resides in Forteviot, which is in Pictland, and he made a marriage alliance with Artgal of Strathclyde, which is where the Britons are in the southwest. Right. Uh, oh no, and also with um, Ieth Finliath in Ireland. Yes, because that's like the old country, isn't it? The old country. So he's got a bit of a link to Strathclyde, the Britons, he's got a bit of a link to the Irish. Mm. He's quite an advanced man. His brother Donald came along next. And we didn't have an awful lot to go on with Donald, but he did at the very least establish Scottish laws in Pictland um, and probably consolidate what Kenneth does. And possibly with his foreign mother, maybe, is that an alliance with the Vikings? Well, the thing with this episode is, as we'll see, the Vikings are very important. They were a little bit quiet for Kenneth and Donald. They weren't very Viking-y. But this episode, oh, this this is peak Viking. Excellent. Uh, before that, however, let's have a little look at Constantine. We don't know when he's born. Even Wikipedia didn't have a they, guess. Even Wikipedia doesn't guess. They have That's to say, amazing. you know what, we actually don't know. <laughs> well, there's an invitation for someone. Exactly, yes. Yeah. So let us know, when was yeah. Constantine the first <laughs> um, He's the son of Kenneth McAlpin and a woman. 
Jolly good. Well, that's encouraging. Possibly Pictish. We'll come back right. to that a little bit later. So that means that he is the son of Kenneth McAlpin and the nephew of Donald I. Okay. Because the Scots have this alternating system of succession where yeah. it goes to the brothers and then it goes to the next generation. Mm. Mm. And Donald didn't have any children, so there are no... It's back to Ken's kids. To go, exactly. So it's all on Kenneth's kids. Whoa! So he is Constantine Mc- McAlpin. Uh, you could say that he is Constantine. I think that'll help me work out who these people are. What they actually would describe him would be as Mac Kinada. Oh. So son of Kenneth. Because Kenneth is such a strong character that you don't need to specify oh, which one he is. Okay, so he started, so it could be McKenneth from now on. Yes, McKenneth. Right, Constantine McKenneth, <laughs> yeah. to confuse things. And he becomes king in 862. And we know this one, though, we know that date. Definitely does become king in 862. Because that's when Bernard died. Yes, Donald died. <laughs> now, there are no portraits, uh, unfortunately, or indeed physical descriptions of the king, so... To give some kind of fun idea, we take our cue from the Heritage uh, playing cards. When did you switch that over? When did I do that? It's been. Ta- I've been reading that book on Nazism in here. <laughs> in all that time, I did not see you do that. Historical book. <laughs> How to. <laughs> um, so, Ali, what does Constantine I look like in well, the card? Well, he couldn't be more different. Mm. He has got what can only be described as a dress. Mm-hmm. Uh, sky blue dress. Um, no beard... No. But his legs are covered, but he does have a sword. Mm, and over his blue... Oh, he's, got a, he's, got a lovely, he's got a lovely tartan robe, naturally. Mm. Now, I don't know if this is in any way intentional by the artist, but it kind of might associate the pics maybe with blue, as like the, the face Ooh, paint the and stuff like that. that yeah. But then with the tartan, maybe a bit more Scottish. So if we talk about that Scottish... I'm sure the artists knew what they are doing, because they did Donald without any trousers exactly. on. Exactly. They researched it at least as well as I have, if not much more. That's brilliant. Does he look very battly there? No, what, not at all. I mean, if you had to have any kind of character... I'd, come up with. I'd worry he mm. was pious. Does he have a pious face on him, though? Well, I mean... No, he's got long hair. He's he's grumpy. Mm. I'll give you that. <laughs> he's grumpy, yeah. But it grumpy and a sword. I'm thinking. And mm. cross my fingers that this isn't the case. I'm thinking Alfred. He looks like Alfred to me. Ah, well, it's going to be mud, isn't it? <laughs> there, well, there may be mud. <laughs> <laughs> the non-Oscar-winning Scottish <laughs> <laughs> film. So. As I said, it's, this is kind of peak Viking, and actually, certainly for the biography, Ken, uh, not Kenneth, um, Constantine is going to be put on the back foot a bit. We're not going to hear Constantine's name for quite a bit. Okay. So what we're going to do instead is focus on what the Vikings are doing. Right. Because they're doing it all over the Atlantic archipelago mm. of England, Scotland, and Ireland. That's really caught on that. Yes, mm. <laughs> within mm. us. Mm. This is particularly good because we know a bit more about this period than we did for Donald. Why is that? Because of the Vikings doing all this stuff, which means that the Irish are writing about it, the Saxons are writing about it, and indeed the Vikings themselves are writing all these crazy sagas as well. Right, yeah. Um, and there's some very good ones and very big characters. If you want to know more about the sagas, do check out uh, a podcast called Saga Thing. Oh, yeah, that is good, yeah. Well, they are uh, kind of inspired by us a little bit. They review mm. all of the sagas. Yeah, super So fun. I, I'm not sure if any of the ones that we're touching on uh, that they've they've done but definitely more information from them there some of the key figures that we're going to be looking at uh, Amleif or Olaf easier Imar or Ivar yeah Albadan or Halfdan I'd have gone with Andrew 
Andrew. <laughs> Albert Dan. Andrew. Half Dan is what Okay. Half Dan. Half Dan. Yeah. Half of a Dan. Okay. And so, the Vikings had been in Ireland probably from, well, maybe even before the time of Kenneth McAlpin, certainly sort of at that time. Mm-hmm. But they then have a period of infighting between Danish and Norse settlers. Sounds messy. Because the Vikings aren't just one homogenous Scandinavian blob. They're actually from yeah. all these different identities. And we just call them Vikings because of the raiders. But actually, they're rival factions within the nations and then within the actual countries themselves. Okay. Um, however, um, the annals of Ulster say that uh, Amleif, or Olaf as we're going to call him, son of the king of Lateland, came to Ireland and the Gale of Ireland submitted to him and he took tribute from the Irish. So that's implying there's no Irish there at the moment. Well, so there's I- there are native Irish are in Ireland, of course. Or I mean Vikings there. Um, yeah, well, what he does is he effectively defeats the Danish Vikings and gets rid of all that infighting. So there'd been a bit of chaos, but then Olaf comes in, re-establishes Norse control, mm. and then re-establishes control over some of the native Irish in the area where he is. Okay. So the Vikings are a little bit more on top um, in Dublin, basically. So Olaf becomes king of Dublin from about 853. Good. Now, he is often associated by historians with a saga character. Mm. A lot of what he does in his reign seems to be identical to the saga character. And the saga character is Olaf the White. Why? Um, I'm not sure why about the White. It's not like Lord of the Rings. There isn't a ga- mm. uh, Olaf the Grey Shame. wandering around yeah. <laughs> anywhere. Um, apparently he was married to Aud the Deep-Minded. Oh, I thought you were going to say the Deep Grey. <laughs> and then they just get lighter and lighter. lighter yeah. uh, and she's the daughter of Kettle Flatnose. Brilliant. Are you making this up? No. <laughs> well, the saga writers might have probably were. fantastic. Um, so what's the name again? Kettle Flatnose? Yes. Father of Alf the Deep-Minded, who marries Olaf the White. That's just a random name generator. <laughs> They've taken words and just put them together. So we've got Olaf, who establishes himself as King of Dublin. Okay, yeah. Because uh, Ireland, at this point, like everywhere else, is just lots of small kingdoms mm. that are always at war with each other and vying for dominance. We also have Imar, who's the founder of the Ui Imar dynasty that came to dominate the Irish seas. Um, he's the one that we might also call Ivor. Okay, yeah. He comes to Ireland about 857 and allies with Olaf. Right. Possibly his brother, possibly blood brother, i.e. an ally. Either way, they're tight. They're mates. Mm. They get on. Now, he is seen as being identical to a saga figure as well, and his saga figure is Ivor the Boneless. Who was our boneless character from previous Rex Factor? That's this one. It's Ivor the Boneless. We did mention him before, yes. Um, In terms of his name, Mm. he may have been some kind of snake metaphor in that he was so flexible in battle that he was like he was boneless because he could just do anything. Right. Or he was slippery devil. Well, or he may have had brittle bone disease. Oh, right. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. That's not a laughing matter. Um, But he had quite a hardy reputation Life of the Boneless. Irony. The most cruel of them all was Ingvar, the son of Lothbrook, who everywhere tortured Christians to death. I mean, that's standard Viking stuff. This is a a Viking. This is a Viking. They've got Viking names and they do Viking things. Yeah, yeah, they've taken that to heart, haven't they? So this is peak Viking, not only in action, but this is peak Viking period, isn't it? The time. Yeah, exactly. That's what we're going to come on to. So the Vikings make an alliance with Aethfinliath, 
who, uh, if we recall, is the one that Kenneth McAlpin married his daughter to. Yes. So they make a bit of an alliance with him, which means that they can then take out some of the other rival Irish kings. Um, so while Shocknell dies in 862, had been a bit of a pain for them. 863, they plunder Brega, which is north of Dublin, and 864, murder Conquerbar, who's the king of Mead. So, but these, this, the uh, our chap Constantine here shouldn't be too worried because they've made an alliance with his bloodline. So they have, yeah. So that he's fine. He's fine. And yeah. he's also in Scotland. Yeah, not a problem. However, in 865, mm. we have the arrival of the Great Heathen Army. Uh-oh, trouble's brewing. So this is a large Viking army of warriors from all across Scandinavia. So this one actually is probably from Norway and Sweden and mm. um, Denmark. Land in East Anglia, and they've got an intention to conquer Anglo-Saxon England. This is, the, this is it. This is the big one. This is a biggie. And probably looking for a soft target after the French had shored up their defences. Right. So they come over and they're going to uh, attack England. Now the leadership is said to have been led by the sons of Ragnar. Oh! Which is Ragnar Lothbrok. Yeah. Who, if you've seen the series The Vikings, yeah. not just Vikings, is the hero of that series. Yeah. Didn't we touch on him before? I think he's the new one. Okay. So you may just be familiar with the show. Or the Bernard Cornwall series. Focus on Uhtred. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's, that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah. Mm. Um, so these include Bjorn Ironside. Brilliant. Half Dan. Lovely. Um, Abba. Oh, he's new, isn't he? <laughs> yeah. Sigurd Snake in the Eye. <laughs> and, popping over from Ireland, yeah. Ivor the Boneless. Good. So the whole clan, they're yes. all together. Exactly. They line up like a row of superheroes. With them. <laughs> exactly. One eye, Boneless, Half Dan and <laughs> Lothbrook and, oh, brilliant. <laughs> um, now this causes a bit of confusion because if Olaf is Ivor's brother, then this is difficult because Olaf isn't one of the sons of Ragnar. What? So What's that's that where we say maybe Olaf the White was just a blood brother of Ivor the Boneless i.e. allies but not actually brothers because he wasn't there because he wasn't one of the sons of Ragnar okay he's not listed yeah yeah um, now the reason for them coming over Ragnar Lothbrok um, is a legendary Danish king it's one of those funny things where the sons of Ragnar are generally historical figures hmm. but Ragnar's existence is not entirely certain why? Uh, well because his role in sagas as this legendary figure it's difficult to match to actual historical records. So, so they've not... gone so overboard, or he was so great that you can't tell fact from fiction. Yeah, either. exactly. Right. Um, now, the motivation for the Sons of Ragnar is that uh, Ila of Northumbria, so an Anglo-Saxon king, um, betrays Ragnar and throws him into a pit of snakes. Right. So the king of Northumbria kills Ragnar Lothbrok. And that's how he dies? According to legend. I was not expecting that. I, I thought you were going to tell me how the legend says that they all slithered up his back and helped him escape or something. No, 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 he dies. But before he dies, Ragnar exclaims, how the young pigs would squeal if they knew what the old boar suffers. In other awesome. words, my sons are going to come and get you. Yeah. So they know. do, with yeah. a great heathen army. Okay. Oh. I mean, to be fair, he wouldn't have been used to snakes, Ireland and that. Being exactly. Snakes. Yes, exactly. So they land in East Anglia in 865, um, get tribute from King Edmund of East yeah. Anglia, um, over winter there before heading north in 866 to Northumbria. 
Why North? Because is there a greater prize there? Uh, there's a greater prize there. They've got tribute from East Anglia, so they think, well, we've got a bit of money that can pay yeah. us to go off and visit Northumbria if okay. they want to get revenge on the King Island. Oh, king yes, Ragnar. of course, that's why. Yeah. Of course. Um, so that is 866, they're going out to Northumbria. Um, they're joined at this point by Ivor the Boneless. So he comes over and the Vikings capture York. That which is then their power base for Jorvik, yeah. Then their power base. That was sort of the capital of Northumbria. Um, and then the rival Saxon kings, because there was a bit of division. We've got Isla, who killed Ragnar Lothbrook, and also a chap called Osbert. They actually then join forces because they realise that the Vikings are such a major threat to everything, mm. their entire way of life, that it's actually they need to work together first and get rid of them. Yeah. So they then besiege York to take it back unsuccessfully as it happens I, it, I mean it's I, I never I, even when the outcome is positive for like Alfred yeah. or any of these people when it comes to when it comes to the, you letting me know I always think it's going to be failure <laughs> yeah. I always think it's never it's the Vikings don't even bother <laughs> Imagine when the battles that they're lining up before at the start and they're going, come on, we're going to do this, we're going to take them. Really? They go down the line to you, guys, seriously. Seriously, I mean, is, just uh, don't even try. I'm checking out. Yeah. Um, so they, they are killed. Osbert and Ayla are killed. By legend, Ayla is captured by the sons of Ragnar and blood-eagled. Oh, yes, now we've had this before. Yes, which way you sort of cut yeah. in, take the... Lungs, lungs out the back and then splay them yeah as if winged gross and they install a puppet king and that's great hey um, yes uh, then in 867 they go on to capture Nottingham and Mercia okay so they're getting another there. Yeah. Saxon kingdom sort of in the Midlands of mm. England now but what about Constantine you're thinking yeah he's What's sort he of thinking oh this is awkward they've kind of been coming up north a little bit but he's still friends with them right well, he's, he's never really met them, mm. that's the problem. Okay. All these alliances are very in and off the moment to mm. a certain extent. And indeed, Olaf the White uh, brings his actual brother, um, Oysel, <laughs> um, and they come over into Pictland, into Scotland. Uh-oh. And they go deep inland, plunder, take hostages, stay there over winter. Yeah. So that's sort of 866 to 867. So when Northumbria has been taken by Ivor the Boneless... Olaf, he's coming from the other side. He's coming from the other side and is now kicking about in Pictland. Uh, okay, which you'd be a little bit worried you about if you're Constantine. You're thinking, oh, it, things aren't going well for all of the other kings in Britain at this yeah, point. Yeah. However, the Vikings suffer a few setbacks. Having taken um, Nottingham, they then go on to try and conquer the rest of the Kingdom of Mercia in England. However, there's an alliance between Burgred, the King of Mercia, and Ethelred the king of Wessex. We, we've encountered these people, haven't we? Yeah, so Ethelred is not the unready one, mm. but he is the Before one that. of the last elder brother of Alfred the Great. Okay, so Alfred's already done his mm. business. No, Alfred is about to. Oh, elder brother. Elder Sorry, brother. yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so they have a bit of a setback in Mercia, mm. in the scene off. They're still pretty dominant, but they haven't quite finished the job. More interestingly for us and for Constantine, Ieth Finliath... Mm. Thus, Constantine's sort of technically brother-in-law. Yeah. Whilst the Vikings are away... Where's he based, sorry? So he's based in Ireland, sort of around Dublin. Yeah, yeah. Whilst Olaf has headed off to kill all the Picts... Yeah. I thinks, well, this is a bit of an opportunity for me. So he is now effectively High King of Ireland. 
So he's the most powerful native Irish ruler. And basically, he just sets about kicking the uh, all the Viking forts and ports whilst they're away. So he destroys their uh, long ports along the northern coast, as well as camps at York and Eugle, wins a couple of battles against some of the sort of people that Olaf's left behind. So that does mean, though, that any hope that um, they might have been on the set, Constantine might have been on the same side as these mm. marauding Vikings, now definitely not, because his, his one link mm. has gone on the rampage against them. But that's good news, because that means that Olaf now has to head back to Ireland to sort all of this out. So he leaves Pictland, he doesn't conquer it, he has to head back to Ireland. I mean, I don't know how this ends up. You just don't want to anger the Vikings. <laughs> just don't, just don't try. So Olaf goes back. Eight six seven initially has a little bit of trouble. His son is killed at uh, Kilinir near the Boyne, mm. um, and he does actually have a little bit of difficulty re-establishing his control. Does he eventually, though? Yes, obviously yeah, he does. Um, benefits from conflict among the native Irish rulers, oh, okay, so he's yeah. able to just come through and take dominance. And so in 869, the annals of Ulster noted, Amar was plundered by Olaf and burned with its oratories. A thousand were carried off or killed and great rapine committed. Oh, dear. So, yeah, ultimately doesn't yeah. go to quite so well for the Irish. 869, mm. Halfdan and Ivor move south through Mercia and go back to East Anglia. Right, OK, so everyone's retreated back now to original lines. Yes, they've gone back to East Anglia, but it's not such a retreat, because actually what they do is take on Edmund of East Anglia in battle, defeat him, tie him up to a tree, and fill him with lots of arrows. Uh, OK, they missed a lovely blood eagle opportunity there, didn't exactly, they? Exactly, they did, though mm. Ivor and Halfdan are said to have... You know, instigated. The, you know, you've got to try a bit of variety. Yeah, the spice of life, isn't it? Well, of course, this is Edmund, uh, who is said to have go on as a ghost to scare Sven Forkbeard to death a couple of centuries later. Oh, really? Yes, okay. this Edmund. That's there. Okay. But Olaf has dealt with Ireland. Yes. Comes back to Scotland. Uh-oh. In 870. Right. And what's more, Ivor the Boneless is now joining back up with him. So Ivor has left half down in charge of the Great Heathen Army. And now they're both in Scotland. Yeah, that's serious trouble. He, they sound like hard men. But there's good news. They're not taking on Constantine. Why? They're taking on the Britons instead. Okay. So this is southwest Scotland yeah. and the fortress of Dumbarton Rock. So they decide to besiege this, the capital, basically, the sort of capital fortress of the Britons. Of the Britons. And, yeah. and at this point, Constantine is sort of kings of... He's king of the Picts yeah. and the Scots, yeah. not the Britons. Not the Britons, the Britons okay. There, yeah. And, and they besiege it, so they don't go straight in, they besiege it, and they besiege it for four months. Mm, it's not very Viking y. Not very Viking y. Um, unfortunately for the Britons, the well dries up. Oh. And the Britons are able, and the Vikings are able to get in. At which point they plunder and destroy oh, the capital and take many slaves. It's classic Viking, isn't it? Um, and this allows potential Viking dominance now, the sort of central lowlands. Okay, so now they're Scotland. right on Constantine's doorstep here. They really are. Eight seven one. Um, the Great Heathen Army gets reinforcements from the Great Summer Army, so even more Vikings come over because it's a fighting season. Because it's fighting season. <laughs> it's that time of the year. Yeah. Down tools. However, in 871, Halfdan is defeated in the Battle of Ashdown when trying to capture Wessex. Oh, from who? By who? Well, so Ethelred is king, yeah. but this was where Alfred first makes his name, where he was oh, known as the wild boar of yeah. Ashdown, where he fought going up the hill. Yeah. And so he's forced to make... And Alf, uh, Ethelred dies soon after this, so Halfdan has to make terms with Alfred 
in Wessex. See Rex Factor episode two. two Alfred the Great. At this point, um, the proverbial well and truly hits the fan. <laughs> Everybody just starts dying. Uh. So, we've not been talking about Constantine very much. No. And we've been speculating what he's been up to. What he seems to be doing effectively is keeping his head low and just trying to stay out of trouble. Good there's idea. All this really. other stuff going on, yeah. and he's like, you know what, I'm just going to be fine. Go crazy. Carry on. It's possible, however, that when Olaf was first in um, Pictland in 866-867, mm-hmm. that he might have made some kind of deal with him, some kind uh, of alliance. Against his own against his own people that he was ruling? Well, not against his own people, but, as we will see, potentially <clears throat> against the Britons and Strathclyde. Uh, okay. So he may have encouraged them to set their sights mm-hmm. there rather mm-hmm. than on his own territory. And in 872, Artgar, the king of Strathclyde, Hmm. So the one that Kenneth McAlpin made a marriage alliance, made an alliance with. Yeah. So Kenneth's daughter married um, Artgall's son. Britain. Britain. Yeah. Yeah. In 872, Artgall, according to the Annals of Ulster, Artgall, king of the Britons of Strathclyde, was slain at the instigation of Constantine, Kinnit's son. That's his family, then? Well, it's a sort of family. I mean, yes, sort of family. So Kenneth's... Sorry, Constantine's brother-in-law is the son of Artgall. So Artgall, maybe it's not a particularly not blood then decent relationship, but still, you know, a bit heavy. So eight seven two, Artgall, king of Strathclyde, is killed by the Vikings, but possibly thanks to Constantine. Yes, baddie, bit of a baddie, mm. but he's he's now maybe starting to make his move mm-hmm. in the yeah. power play. He's doing something. In 872, probably not long after Artgall's death, um, death, Olaf, Olaf the White is back, yes. plundering the Pictish coast. Right. Oh dear. Um, so Constantine's in the neighbourhood, so they have a little bit of a set too, and Olaf comes off the worst. Really? And is defeated and killed. With all his experience and Constantine's lack? Yeah. Well. So Olaf the White is dead. Ooh. In 873, um, Ivor the Boneless returns to Ireland to become king, mm. now that Olaf's dead. Yeah. Founds a dynasty that's very powerful for quite a while, but he dies. Right. Probably just of old age, or, you know, all that fighting gets to you after yeah. a little while. Um, said to have been buried in a place that was exposed to attack so that his spirit could foil any attempt by enemies to invade. Mm, bit of a sound, not a totally sound plan. Well, in, in fact, in Ragnar Lothbrok's saga, it says that he was actually moved and buried on the English shore, so that in 1066, when William landed, he opened up the mound, dug out um, either the boneless's un-decomposed um, body, and then had it burnt. And then by doing that, he was able to continue and invade successfully. How long after that was this? Well, obviously that's just a couple of hundred years. Yeah. Which may be the reason that that sounds slightly dubious. Yeah. Right. Okay. Well, I mean, but it does show how powerful this Ragnarok is. Exactly. So, Olaf has been killed in 872. Ivor the Boneless dies just a year later. So those two are now gone. Right. Suddenly, for Constantine, things are maybe starting to look up. Yeah. Not so. So no, no not after no, all. Yeah. So who's left on the hit list? Who's left now is half down. Yeah, but Alfred's given him a bit of a. Well, he gave, they came to an accommodation, so Alfred hasn't sort of defeated him in the sense of killing him or 
having dominance, he's just stopped. Given him the kicking. Yeah, well, you know, even that, he stopped the invasion attempt of Wessex. But right. you know, Halfdan is still pretty strong and is now in control of that heathen summer army. Right. And he goes on to continue his dominance. So in 874, he drives the Mercian king into exile. So Mercia is effectively now fallen right. to the Vikings. And Alfred is in the... Is Al- Alfred is king of Wessex, so Mercia is gone, Northumbria's gone, East Anglia's okay. gone. It's yeah. just Wessex left mm. now. Yeah. Um, Halfdan then also probably establishes himself as king of Jorvik. Right, yeah. It's quite yeah. a fun thing to do. So you've got that sort of York-Dublin axis potentially going on. Big band of Vikings across exactly. the middle. Yeah. Um, 875, he goes north from York yeah. and takes on Constantine in the Battle of Dola okay. and wins. Constantine is defeated by Halfdan. Yes, I mean, obviously. And then that's the end of him. It's not the end of him. He what? isn't killed in battle, he's just defeated. So he gets to lick his wounds and scarpa. Okay. Then in 877, Halfdan attempts to recapture Dublin, which presumably has fallen after the death of Ivor the Boneless. So Halfdan now wants to establish himself as King of Dublin, as well as being King of York. Okay, overstretching himself perhaps. Well, unfortunately for Halfdan, he is killed in battle at Strangford Loch in County Down. Right, so, no more Viking leaders. Olaf is dead. Halfdan is dead. Ivor the Boneless is dead. This is all working out well. Yeah. Constantine, in 877, um, builds a new church for uh, Caldees at St Andrews, but unfortunately, there's another Viking attack. Mm. Possibly even Halfdan's men coming back, having lost a battle. Constantine takes them on in battle, and I'm afraid in battle at Inverdovat near Newport on Tay and a black cave, Constantine is defeated and killed. I'm not going to say I told you so, mm. but I did predict this. <laughs> you, did. you know, you don't disturb the hornet's nest of Vikings. So from 872, we've had Artgul of Strathclyde killed, Olaf the White. Either the bonus has died, half Dan has been killed, Constantine himself also killed. And how long did you say? So that's just five years that all of mm. that happens. Another power vacuum then? Well, another power vacuum. So the state of the nations at this point, mm. just to recap. In England, East Anglia, mm. conquered and settled by Vikings. Okay. Mercia, conquered and pretty much settled by Vikings. Mm. Northumbria, Conquered and settled by the Vikings. Yeah. So that realm is now from sort of the Humber to the Tyne, and you've got the Dublin-York axis. So it really is. So apart from the very southwest of Britain, and of England and Scotland, mm. complete, complete Viking. Yeah. So the year after um, Constantine dies, so eight seven eight, um, Halfdan went north. So Guthrum then became the Viking leader, and he lost to Alfred the Great at Eddington. And this is a huge defeat for him. He gets sent off to spend his days in East Anglia, and that's the end of the great heathen army mm. that came over in 865. That job is now done. They didn't conquer Wessex, and Alfred then goes on and his successors to push back for the Saxons and mm. create England. Yes. So it's in that context that Alfred does all of that stuff. But Scotland, we've seen Strathclyde and the fortress at Dumbarton Rock destroyed, and that's basically completely abandoned, so they established a new centre a bit further inland, based in Govan, just sort of, I think, Glasgow sort of area. Yeah. Destruction of the Britons, and some damage to the Picts when Olaf came along, raiding a little bit. But, at the same time, the Viking leaders are killed. Maybe, in a way, that's not too bad for our Scottish chaps. Other than being killed for Constantine, he's lost one of his other rivals. The Viking guys are all dead. Yeah. 
And it allows them, in a power vacuum, yeah. again to establish their dominance in this part of Northern Britain, because Northumbria has really fallen apart, the Britons have fallen apart, some of the Picts have been taken out a little bit. Hey, it's good for the Scots. Yeah, true. I mean, they they were the only ones who came out of this, but they came out of it without a leader. Without Constantine. Um, and still, I mean, at this point, we know what happens next in England, but still at this mm. point, Vikings on the doorstep. Yeah, so we've got the Saxons in southern England, the Vikings in sort of northern England, southern Scotland, and then we've got the uh, the MacAlpins mm. in Scotland. Okay. So that is uh, Kenneth and the Vi- uh, that is Constantine and the Vikings. Yep. But how will Constantine fare when we review him? Battleliness. So, for battleliness, there's a lot of battleliness going on in this period. There is, and we've mentioned a lot of battles, but how involved was he? Exactly. Well, Dumbarton Rock, the fall of the Britons. Mm. There's nothing to suggest that Constantine is actually there with the Vikings destroying it. Mm. However, it does seem that he could, at the very least, have encouraged the Vikings to Mm. maybe set their sights in that kingdom, which is a rival kingdom. And then, because Dumbarton Rock falls, he is able, and the uh, Scots are able, to sort of reassert their dominance over the Britons. Because, remember, Kenneth had suffered a raid from the Britons, he'd made that marriage alliance... Now, Britons are very much taken out of the picture as a big force, it would appear. Yeah, I mean, I don't... Even if he wasn't there swinging the sword... Mm. I mean, I kind of feel like the Scots are on his doorstep, Mm. and he answers the door, sees a big snarling dog, and just throws a string of sausages over the fence (laughs) next door. (laughs) So, I mean, he's pretty much there, isn't he? He's implicated even if he doesn't actually fight. Um, But we do have the defeat of Olaf the White... Yeah, yeah. And I should say, yeah. they seem to have had some kind of alliance, and potentially Constantine avoids the danger of being targeted for um, deposition by making this initial alliance. Bides his time a little bit, and then once Artgul is gone in Strathclyde, and Ivor the Boneless is off somewhere else, yeah. Olaf's maybe less of a threat, and uh, he manages to take him out. Yeah, that's when he strikes. It's good, isn't it? Actually, and Olaf is a pretty substantial figure, done a lot of damage in previous. Uh, previous decade mm. and there are probably a lot of Viking raids along the coasts not all from Olaf either and much as little ones mm. in this period so it's possible that you know he's actually fighting quite a few little yeah. things for much of the time so in a way there's some positives yeah I mean he he picks his battles mm. apart from the one where he died yes so unfortunately we also do have some defeats mm. for Constantine which doesn't look quite so good for the battleliness mm. initially we had Olaf coming along in 866 where he penetrates deep into sort of the Pictish territory said to have plundered the whole nation and then spent the winter there and there's no evidence that Constantine fights or resists him in any way so he's either a subservient king of no particular threat or he makes a deal early on Mm. Either way, from a battleliness perspective, it's not that great. It's not that great, no. Mm. Um, and he's lucky, really. Yeah. Because when you think, with all that's going on in England and the great heathen army, and then you've got Olaf there, and it's only because of what goes on in Ireland that Olaf actually leaves. Yeah. So, but for Ias Finleyath in Ireland kicking off, Olaf could have stayed longer and done some terminal... Damage. I mean, I'd like to think that Constantine was involved with that like speaking to his ally in Ireland saying you know kick off a bit and we'll yeah um, and perhaps he might have been forced to confront him but didn't 
didn't uh, fight where unnecessary, but mm. still, that's not what we want for battle, is it? We have a defeat in the Battle of Dola in 875. This is sort of near the border of Pictland, Strathclyde, and Northumbria, so a very useful strategic area. Mm. So you can tell why Halfdan is over there. We don't really know what happens, but it's suggested that it's a pretty heavy defeat for the Scots, and that Halfdan and his men then go on and occupy land up north and do no yeah. damage. So it's a bad defeat. Yes, it's not even good. Even though he doesn't die. Now, something we haven't mentioned before, but another figure from the sagas is Harold Fairhair. That's more normal. Um, he establishes himself as King of Norway, but his rivals flee as outlaws to the Orkneys and the Hebrides, and may then have kind of raided Norway from there. So apparently Harold, once he sorts everything out in Norway, then, according to the sagas, comes over to Shetland, the Orkneys, Hebrides and the Isle of Man, slaughters all of these rival Vikings. The Isle of Man's quite a long way away. Well, yeah, well, it just carries all the way around. Yeah. Um, and then... Um, basically establishes dominance on the islands. Mm. Now, to be fair to Constantine, these are never really part of his territories, the islands, but it does again show the extent to which the seas, the islands just around, it's all very much under Viking control yeah. at this point. Yeah. So even if he's just about resisting, he's certainly not... No, you, you imagine he'd have control of the Orkneys mm. and the Shetlands, they Scott, no. no, okay. None of the right. islands, and probably even like the north of the mainland, probably as well. Yeah, because if they're there, they're going to have a little mm. little pop, aren't they? So, to me, we maybe never actually had them in the first place, but at the same time, it does say the extent to which the Vikings are really controlling the situation. Yeah, and of course, we have the fact that he is killed in battle. His death. Yes. That does happen. Uh, according to the Chronicle of the Kings of mm. Alba, it was fought at Inverdovat, at the mouth of the Firth of the Tay. Chronicle of Melrose says a black cave in Fife. Yeah, I didn't pick you up when you said that. A black cave? What's he doing fighting in a cave? Well, I'm sure if he was in the cave, or maybe he just occupied it before the battle. Or maybe he was killed nearby. Yeah. Um, some suggest that he may have been executed afterwards on the beach. Okay. He might have cut his head off after the battle on the beach, which mm. maybe was near a cave. Mm. Either way, in 877, he is defeated and he is killed, and that's never a great thing to happen. It's not the best for battling this, is it's it? not what you really want to you know, lose mm. and get your head cut off. So, a score. Well, at least we're working with some battles. We are working with battles. Um, and I do like that he picked those battles, pardon mm. the pun. Oh. And I do like that the one that he, you know, he the one he chose to fight when necessary, he won. Mm. But ultimately, it doesn't go well. Yeah. Uh, so, you see. I think I'm going to pull the score down. I like his approach, mm. but I'm going to pull the score down because I, I'm imagining we're going to have some pretty heavy battling that's yeah. coming up. Uh, so, and really, he does get defeated and die in battle. Yes. Let's not forget that. Let's not. So, yeah, mm. 3.5. Yeah, I was sort of thinking, yeah, sort of somewhere, something between a three and a four. And it's one of those where, like, if the tactic had worked, then you'd say, fair enough, you didn't do yeah. a lot of battles, but you were tactical about the overall campaign, and that's pretty good. Not going to be top marks, but, you know, yeah. okay. I think that would have been a six or a seven, because the yeah. battles he did yes. pick, he'd have won, mm. survived, but... Mm, As did he loses, I'm going to give him a three. 
I mm. suspect that actually even defeating Olaf, it probably wasn't you know a great big epic battle. It was probably just mm. you know yeah, kind of on is. the coast and yeah. just taken by unawares a little bit. Mm. I thought, oh, it's my good friend. <laughs> Come here. Yeah. Share a pie. <laughs> that is a six point five for Batlinus. Scandal. Well. Mm. We've got a bit of a shifty character here. I've rung the bell. You have rung the bell. I can't remember if I rung it at the right time. Uh, you, you anticipated correctly, okay. I think, what was coming. We've got uh, collusion with the Vikings. Mm-hmm. The Irish analyst suggests some form of accommodation between Constantine and Olaf. There's even a suggestion of a marriage alliance, though we don't actually have any particular details on that, so maybe that's another scribal error. <laughs> Um, when Olaf was plundering in 866 and 867, he was in Pickland and plundering, which all seems very bad. It's just like doing Viking shopping. Viking shopping. Mm-hmm. However, it's not clear which Picts these were, because although Constantine is, you know, kind of king of the Picts, there's still it's not quite as centralised a state as we recognise now. No, we talked about that um, uh, devolution. Yeah, okay. so Dalriata and the Scots mm. in this devolution. There are probably still some Picts who don't really like the fact that these Scots have come over and yeah. taken them over. So he maybe has some rivals or areas that are a bit rebellious. Or mm. so it's possible that the ones that Olaf gives a good kicking to, maybe that's the areas that aren't loyal to Constantine. I wouldn't put it past him. No, I think that's exactly the sort of tactic that is coming out of this character here. Mm. I think it's good. I mean, I think they're good tactics for um, if you want to survive. Yeah. But unfortunately he doesn't. (laughs) So he just sort of loads them up. So it is, in a way, his people, but not the loyal ones. Yeah, yeah, with you. But, you know, from a scandal perspective, that's, you know, making a deal with the Vikings to kill some of your people, just the ones you don't like as much as the others. Yeah, it's a bit like uh, uh, someone coming over and fighting... uh, Invading Ireland mm. in 1915. Yeah. You think, oh, that's not very good. <laughs> Put in the same hand. Yeah. Um, yeah, it would have been tricky. Now, Dumbarton Rock, where the mm. Britons get taken out by the Vikings, it's possible that he had some kind of role, maybe in suggesting that they might want to focus the Vikings on taking out um, that territory. Mm-hmm. Um, but he certainly does um, get involved in persuading them to kill Artgal, the king of Strathclyde. In 872. Who's the relation? Who's sort of a bit mm. of a relation, but certainly what he's doing there is he's got a rival in his area mm. and he uses the Vikings to take them out. Mm. It's, I mean, it is all very good, but it's just surprising that, um, in a way, that he does actually pop it in the end. He, well, I mean, it's a dangerous game to play. Is, but the benefits of taking out Artgal, Artgal's son Rune would then have become king of Strathclyde and he's married to Constantine's sister and thus is the brother in law of Constantine. And that's maybe a bit of a closer relationship because he's got his sister there, he's, made, he's probably mm-hmm. the same generation as Rune. And it allows him to undermine the power of the kingdom a little bit more mm. and give a boost to him. Yeah. I mean, it's, it is it's all very... I can see why he put it in a scandal because it's sort of underhand skullduggery. Yeah. Um, it's not the sort of scandal that I'd go crazy for. No, and it's a bit, a bit like Kenneth was quite a bit of skullduggery, yeah. isn't he? So, you know. But there's just... I think that's, it's not really... If even your own people aren't, if you're not settled as as the legitimate ruler of all of Scotland yet, anyway, mm. with the Picts perhaps not yeah. being quite so supportive, I think it's the kind of thing that we're going to expect, isn't mm. it? Um, what we miss, of course, are naughty bedroom antics. We do, yeah. Mm, and there's some, some uh, there was a good healthy dose of genocide before, wasn't there? In that yeah. like two episodes ago, none of that. 
And I suppose it's also a question, is he uh, another crafty Kenneth? <laughs> or is this a bit of a sort of vacuous Vichy thing going on? Did yeah. he actually plan all of yeah. this? Or was he just kind of hiding while the Vikings did everything? Yeah. Was it a plan or was he just lucky that they didn't take him out early on? I feel like it was a plan. Mm. I feel like it's a plan, although you could see how he might do a uh, uh, after-the-fact Columba history. This was I, uh, yeah, uh, exactly what I hoped now, you'd say. Exactly, I told you that would happen. Did I? Well, I, I told someone. <laughs> yeah, um, but I kind of... Mm, it's too many, too many good little... Um, mm. What would I, Too many good coincidences. Yeah. So a score, what do you think for uh, Constantine? It's not that scandalous, though, is it? I think it's good, good work. Mm. It's yeah, it's throwing the sausages over the neighbour's fence, isn't it? <laughs> it's what did we give the other fella? Uh, well, Kenneth got eleven and a half. Uh, Donald got a four. Kenneth got eleven and a half. Four. Uh, he had the treachery of schoon where he invited the Picts to. Uh, that's probably yeah, that scandal. That and then put them in a trough or whatever it was. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't think it's as good as that. Mm-hmm. I'm going for, I'm going for four. Going for four? No, I'm not. I'm going for three point five. Oh, you're going down. I'm going, yeah. I'm going right down. Yeah, because 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 it's not it's not juicy scandal. I think we're <laughs> yeah, finding that's all you really yeah, exactly <laughs> we're finding scandal here. But, but that was that was how he was effectively. I, I'm blurring the board boundary with battliness because I think this is how he forged his battliness. Mm. But it is, yeah, it is skullduggery. It's a three point five for skullduggery for Ali. <laughs> I'm going to go higher. I'm going to give him a five point five. Okay. As you say, we are missing. Um, I suppose not just the bedroom antics, but also actually a bit more of a direct. Yeah, thing. direct murder. He's sort of secondhand, sort of passing stuff along. Yeah, like the spider. Is he yeah. inspired controlling it, or is he just sort of saying, yep, yep, I'll help you put that web there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But nevertheless, we do have him colluding with the Vikings, possibly against people who are technically his own people. Mm. We've got them encouraging to kill uh, a rival king with whom he technically has some sort of pseudo-alliance, or should do because of that marriage with his yeah. sister and the brother. Um, and, yeah, and he just, he just seems a bit of a crafty one. mm so I'm going to give him a 5.5. Okay, so he's got 9. Uh, he does, he has a score of 9. Subjectivity. So, mm. there are benefits in terms of his ruling by his collaboration with the Vikings. Okay. Um, it may have protected the territories he actually cared about from the worst of the Viking attacks. The, the scandalous activity protected. scandalous activity has this mm. sort of good rule mm. benefit that actually the bits that he's really interested in maybe don't get such damage yeah I think that's right I think that's why he was doing it and you see Ireland um, all the kingdoms in England mm. all over the top the Vikings in this period are absolutely all over the place yeah but his slippery nature mm. his crafty crafty antics have, mm. um, have seen him through maybe now there's a bit of an interesting um, debate over whether we should think of him as being a, a sort of Gaelic sort of very much Scottish minded king or if he's got a bit of a Pictish slant going on really but he was adding, having them killed well, um, it, well it depends which ones is the right. issue. so he shares his name with a great Pictish king um, which was either deliberate association by Kenneth MacAlpin or maybe his mother was of Pictish royal blood or even both Mm. So he may have a bit more links than Kenneth would have done. And the name you mentioned just then, mm. 
Uh, is that a reference to a Roman Constantine? Originally, yeah. yeah. Okay. To but there so. was a Pictish king who was quite notable. Right. Also with that name. Um, and he did receive some praise from the Picts. He was described as the cowherd of the buyer of the cows of the Picts. Don't understand any of that. Uh, cowherd, you know, so in shepherding. Right. Cows. Uh, buyer, I think, is like a cowshed. Okay. <laughs> the cows of the Picts. Basically, they're saying that he's protecting the core parts of his Pictish territory. So, and the Picts are the cows? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's a bit convoluted. <laughs> But so, and he's even sometimes in King List shown as being the last king of the Picts. He's like the 70th and final one. Right. So some people actually show him quite strong with the Picts. As you said, other historians have said that he keeps Scottish territory free from mm. plunder and invasion. So actually, the Dalriata bit doesn't seem to be really that no. too badly affected in this period. Overall, it suggests that there are territories that he is interested in. And that he protects to a certain extent. He finds a way to keep them less damaged than everywhere else by Viking attack. Yeah, and the the other areas are perhaps the areas that were not loyal to him anyway. Exactly. Okay. Which is pretty good for subject. Do you want a king that's finding a way to keep you safe? And you don't care if the king of Strathclyde gets one as a result. You're just quite glad to get a bit of protection. You are, yeah. But I mean... Big subjectivity winners mm-hmm. would have had would have had a massive buffer between him <laughs> and, yes. and uh, you as a, as a loyal yeah. subject. They'd have been fighting down in York or something. <laughs> Everyone's saying he just killed my neighbour. Yeah, but he didn't kill you. Yeah, so, so be grateful you know. and go to sleep soundly. <laughs> exactly. I've got a plan. What are these all... sausages in my garden? <laughs> Um, yeah, as you said, on the other side, it's it's not exactly a pretty picture across his nation. No. The place that he rules does have Viking raids. A6667, um, Olaf, when he first came along, the annals of Ulster say, to Olaf went to Fortriu with the Gale of Ireland and Britain, plundered the entire Pictish nation and took hostages from them. So he's attacking, he's taking their money, their treasure, their food, mm. and taking a few slaves. Mm. Now, even if some of those are the ones that Constantine's maybe less bothered about than yeah, others, yeah. from a subjectivity perspective, not good. that's not really yeah. what you want to be happening. Dumbarton Rock suffers somewhat, the mm. Britain's land in 871. Again, the Annals of Ulster. Olaf and Ivor returned to Dublin from Britain with 200 ships, bringing away with them in captivity to Ireland a great prey of English and Britons and Picts. So, some of his... So some of his subjects are not only getting killed, they're being sent to slavery. And it takes 200 ships to take them all back to Whoa, Dublin I and the that. slave markets of Dublin. Good grief. Olaf is probably able to pretty much plunder at will until he's killed in 872. So it's likely he took slaves at various points and did little bits of plundering that don't get mentioned in the sources. That's not good. It's not good. And again, if we say, well, but these are the picked he's not bothered about, they haven't mentioned the Scots being taken to mm. slavery, etc., etc., but... You know, Constantine is allowing a situation in lands that maybe he wants to have a little bit of a hold over, and he's... Mm, it's not good. He's not showing a really strong positive intent. No. Is he? Uh, the Battle of Dollar in 875, the Annals of Ulster said that a great slaughter of the Picts resulted from the defeat mm. to Halfdan. And the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle, getting in on the act, 
Halfdan went with part of the army into Northumbria and set up winter quarters by the River Tyne, and the army conquered the land, and they often ravaged among the Picts and the Strathclyde Britons. It's not good, Graham. I think full stop. And we don't really have any evidence of a positive sort of legal, like Donald had a no. law that he did, architecture, culture, any of that. We just have maybe reducing some of the slaughter, but actually there's still quite a lot of slaughter and slavery and nasty stuff happening. I mean, to be fair, I did say it was a lost cause even taking the the Vikings on. So to um to have to have to have survived at all and kept, as you say, mm. keeping some of them safe is is admirable. But it doesn't make for a good subjectivity. It doesn't. Score, I mean, just... Would you want to be a subject in this period? Yeah, I mean, it's a sinking ship. It's a submarine with a hole in it. Could be a lovely submarine. Yeah, still got a hole in it. Yeah, and what he's basically doing is just making holes in the other submarines bigger. Yeah, it's not good. Um, and he dies. And he does die. I don't know. I was going to give him two, but I don't know what I'm giving two for. Uh, I'm giving him two for the Scots. Yeah. Keeping them out of slavery. Yeah, yeah, it's it's not good. The I mean, yeah, the only thing which is saving him, saving him, is the suggestion that maybe he limits it. That actually, it's not all complete chaos. He's making alliances. He's finding a way to mm. just about get by. Which does which does sort of paint him as more as a sort of Vichy France, mm. and the kingdom doesn't fall. But to what you know, to what extent? Doesn't he in a good. Way, mm. I wanted to take it down them. I'll stick. I'll stick with two. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give him slightly more generous than two and a half. Mm. Just because it's, you know, you, when you think of basically almost every other kingdom in Britain this period, other than Wessex, falls. So even though he dies, the kingdom doesn't actually fall with him. So it's just about survives, which is why I'm giving him some points because mm. otherwise it's a pretty torrid time. Yeah. Be interesting now mm. to uh, listen to Alfred the Great School to see how, because now we can we're in the age where we can compare mm. um, the previous the episodes. Yeah, yeah. See how I think it does on. put that in context because we didn't do quite the broader context for no. Alfred. I think, and actually, that does not to carry on the debate of Alfred the Great's relative merits, but in this context, we see what's happening all over Britain and Ireland. The fact that Alfred actually defeats the Vikings. Yes. And pushes on. And no part of his territory was yeah. raided. Um, and for a subjectivity score, actually, you think Alfred has this vision of creating a country and the laws and yeah. education, all this sort of stuff. Constantine doesn't really compare there, does he? No, I mean, you can see why they're calling the great rather than mm. the sufficient. Yes. <laughs> Especially when you think, look, you could have Constantine up there, so, you know, be grateful. Enjoy your mud. Which does remind me, actually, that I forgot to mention Constantine's. Uh, epithet. Oh yes, because last have an epithet. Last Donald episode. didn't have one, and so Constantine's nickname, his epithet, is Anfin Shocklich. Did it catch on? The wine bountiful. The wine bound, as in the drink. Brilliant. So apparently he had a like to tipple. He liked to. Yeah, that's what he was doing then. Yeah. All that time. Sitting in his kingdom, drinking his wine, and going, God, the Vikings are everywhere. It's like, oh, yes, it's fine. God, um, oh, Invite them here. Bring me my sausages. <laughs> <laughs> so, that's a score of four and a half for subjectivity. Longevity. Well, this is suppose where, actually, to put him in a little bit of context and the subjectivity, where maybe it is a relatively impressive, he reigns from 862 to 877, which is oh. 15 years. 15? What was he doing? 15 well, years? 
not being killed. Getting yeah, Till getting drunk and bit. not being killed. Yeah. Well, then I mean, he really deserves to have a poor subjectivity <laughs> score. He's just sitting around on his tod. Or alternatively, he spends all that time not being taken out by the Vikings. Mm. Mm. He survives for quite a long time, really. Well. Anyway, and we put that into a score out of twenty based mm. on the maximum score for longevity, and that gives him an actual score of five point two. Out of 20. Out of 20. Okay. Which is quite low. But as you said, the early monarchs are going to suffer because later monarchs have much mm. longer reigns. Mm. But really, in this context, 15 years isn't bad. Dynasty, not the program. We've got uh, one confirmed offspring for uh, 15 years. <laughs> and all that wine. The thing is, to be fair to him, the sources in terms of historical sources, not just bodies. It's tipple. Yeah, he could have had lots of kings, but realistically, we're only going to know about... Uh, lots of children. I'm sure we could We're, <laughs> we're only going to know about any of them that actually did anything significant. Yeah. So he has one son who will uh, mm. become a king, therefore he's the only one we know about. He might have had more, but we only know about one. Yeah. So that's a score, and that's one child, which is a score of 2.22. That's weird, isn't it? That's 2.22. Yeah, dynasty. So that gives him a total score of 27.42. Which is slightly higher than our previous episode. Slightly higher than Donald. Donald. Which is interesting, because with Donald we had almost nothing to go on. Yeah. We have quite a lot happening, but it's very mixed. He, He benefited, didn't he, Donald? So, anyway, that's his total score, but that doesn't affect our final category. No, it certainly doesn't. Where we have to consider whether or not Constantine has that certain something, that uh, star quality, that sense of greatness, that legacy, that great achievement, mm-hmm. which we call... Rex Factor! Unless it can persuade me otherwise, I can't see it. I'm going to make a play for Constantine. Here's, okay. my, here's my argument in favour of Constantine mm. winning Rex Factor here. Basically, what he's doing... Is playing the board game Risk. Yeah, definitely, all the way through. Yeah. Strategy. Yeah. So we've got an island, it's all a bit chaotic, mm. everyone's just throwing dice and attacking each other all over the place. Yeah. In uh, You've got Alfred, who's maybe, you know, he maybe gets stuck in like Australia, but <laughs> yeah. he manages builds to build them and builds and <laughs> back. What Constantine is doing is he's like in Russia or something, and he's like, oh, this is chaos. It's absolute chaos. I can't, if I take someone on mm. big time, I'm going to probably lose. If I do too much and build up too much, they're going to notice me and target me. Mm-hmm. Best thing to do is just to kind of quietly wait it out, not attack the big ones, maybe every now and again take out a little bit mm-hmm. here, a little bit there, spread my forces around and just try and stay out of trouble while everything goes on. And wait for this all to blow over. Wait for it all to blow over. <laughs> you see that always does in risk. <laughs> yeah. So that's what he's doing. He's playing a cautious strategy in risk, and it's a valid strategy. It is, and we applauded him for it. And I really think that is what he was doing. It wasn't. I kind of every so often I think maybe it was a sort of Vichy type thing, and it was luck. But no, I think you're right. I think it was that strategy, and I like that. But unless the final outcome <laughs> is Russian dominance of, uh, of Western Europe, yes. <laughs> I don't think. Um, I don't think uh, the Scottish king deserves <laughs> Rex Factor. If it's Vichy France, it's bad. If it's a tactic, it doesn't work. Exactly. So your final decision, does he have the Rex Factor? No. And it's a no for me as well. No Rex Factor for Constantine the First. Yeah, that was interesting. The way it could be viewed through mm. two perspectives. Yeah. Both aren't good. In either way, he loses. Yeah. But, but it is... It, 
it's funny and I suppose we'll never know which it was we won't Hmm. Anyway, let us know what you think. Email us, Twitter us, uh, Facebook us. Go to rexfactor.wordpress.com. Fill in the poll. Do you think uh, Constantine deserved the Rex Factor mm. or not? Mm. But until then, it will be uh, all from us. So we'll see you next time. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>